family. It looks a little different for everyone. For some, it's mom and dad. For others, roommates who feel like family. And for others, it's your significant other, their golfing buddies, your children, a high school soccer team starting lineup, and oh look, they're all taking you up on the offer to stay for dinner, really testing the limits of that phrase, the more the merrier. But no matter where you call home, GEICO makes it easy to bundle and save on home and car insurance. Easier than making three frozen pizzas and assorted frozen veggies into a cohesive meal. Switch to Spectrum Mobile and get unlimited data for only $29.99 per month each when you get two or more lines. You could save hundreds on your mobile bill. Plus, there are no added taxes, hidden fees, and no contracts. Click to try the Spectrum Mobile Savings Calculator. And in three easy steps, you'll see how much you could save. Visit SpectrumMobile.com slash save. Offer valid for new customers on two or more unlimited lines. Spectrum Internet required. Restrictions apply. Visit SpectrumMobile.com for details. Are we up for it? I want to ask you to take your Bible, turn to Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 through 13. And then I'm going to go into the book of Hebrews chapter 5. I just want to reference two passages of scripture here. Hebrews 4, 11 through 13. This is speaking about the ascension gifts, the gifts of apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, and teacher that Jesus gave to the church. Amen? And it says, and he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors, and teachers for the equipping of the saints, right? For the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So he has given fivefold ministry to the church to equip the saints and so to build up the body of Christ until we all, notice that, all. So when you look at a church and a gathering of believers anywhere in the world and you recognize there are people who are at different levels in their spiritual growth, correct? Right? Do you have some new Christians? Yes, some people that have maybe been Christians for a long time, but they're still struggling. What, then you have those who are strong, they're, they're mature. So there's different levels of growth. But God says his ultimate purpose is that every one of us, till we all come to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, till we become a perfect man. Now notice that. He doesn't say perfect people. He says a perfect man, individual. So he's saying that we've been called to be like one body, one man, walking together, ministering together, representing Jesus on the earth in this singular unity. Now, the interesting thing is he says, he uses the word here in the New King James, perfect. It's the word teleos, and it literally means full-grown adult of maturity, of full age, but one of the other ways it can be translated is wanting nothing necessary for completeness. Wanting nothing necessary for completeness. So that's what he's saying. God's ultimate desire for us is that we would become this perfect man. And to what extent? To the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So that we would become like Jesus himself. Isn't that awesome? All right, go to Hebrews chapter 5, verses 12 through 14. I'm going to read this from the New Living Translation. Hebrews chapter 5, verses 12 through 14. 
You have been believers so long now that you ought to be teaching others. Instead, you need someone to teach you again the basic things about God's Word. You're like babies who need milk and cannot eat solid food. For someone who lives on milk is still an infant and doesn't know how to do what is right. Solid food is for those who are what? Mature. Guess what word that is? Teleos. So it's the same word. It's for those who are mature. And then what does he say? Who through training, some translations say, or through the exercising of their senses or through reason of exercise, different ways that it's translated. But the word literally means training. Who through training have the skill to recognize the difference between right and wrong. So teleos, mature, complete, lacking nothing, that we become everything that God desires us to be, that we reflect the mannerisms of Jesus, that we are Christ-like in all our ways. That's God's ultimate plan for us, right? Romans 8, 29, those whom he foreknew, he predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. So you weren't saved to go to heaven. I wasn't saved just to go to heaven. We were saved to be conformed to the image and likeness of Jesus Christ so that we would manifest the fullness of the stature of Christ here on the earth. How do we get there? Through training. Training. Wow. How do you become a disciple? Look at the etymology. Disciple. There's a word in there. Discipline. Yeah. Oh, it's just grace, right? I don't need to do anything. Paul says, I beat my body. I bring it into subjection. Lest after I preach, I myself am disqualified. So there's this place where we recognize that if we're going to become like Jesus, if we're going to become fully mature, then we have to discipline ourselves. We have to come and we have to literally enter into a time of training. And let me say that it is a lifetime of training. The word that is translated training here literally means a habit, whether of body or mind, a habit. Wow. So it's a habit. How many have good habits? How many have bad habits? It's January 2018. How many just bought a gym membership? How many bought one last year and didn't use it? Okay, the average, the person that signs up for the gym, and, and typically in the new year, the average person commits for three weeks. That's it. After three weeks, they don't follow through. Why? Discipline, habit. It's not easy to keep going to the gym. It's not easy to discipline yourself. But the reality is God says that we are to be disciplined. I love Luke chapter 6, verse 40. A disciple, let's just say a disciplined one. A disciplined one is not above his teacher, but everyone who is perfectly trained would be like his teacher. So I'm born again. I'm a disciple. Well, the discipleship is a progressive thing. If you're going to truly become a disciple, and I don't know where we get this dichotomy, this false dichotomy in, that people make today, well, you can be saved, you can be a, a believer and not be a disciple. Jesus never called people to believe in him. He called them to follow him. 
And when you read in John chapter 8, he said to those who believed in him, if you continue in my word, you will be my disciples indeed, and you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. Who did he say that to? Not the ones who didn't believe, to the ones who believed. So if you believed, you're called into discipleship. The very moment you believe, you're called to continue in his word. You're called to become a disciplined one. You're called literally to be one who enters into training. 1 Timothy 4, 7 and 8. Exercise yourself toward godliness. For bodily exercise profits little. But godliness is profitable for all things, having promise of this life that is now and of that which is to come. The word that is translated, the word that is translated exercise literally speaks of vigorous exercise. I want to say something. Don't get offended. But do you know what the word means? To be clad in your undergarments. It means to be clad in your undergarments. What does that mean? It means that when they would enter into a race, they would remember the scripture in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1, says this, Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus. Let's cast off the weight. How many of you know, that you if, you, if you were going to run a race, you wouldn't wear, you know, the clothing you would wear if you're a tradie. You're not going to wear, like, work construction boots, work boots. You're not going to wear all that stuff, right? You have to cast it off. If you're running a race, and interestingly, in the Olympics now, now the clothing is less and less, you want to wear as little clothing as necessary because you, want, you don't want any unnecessary weight, nothing weighing you down. And figuratively, he's saying there's things that you have to cast aside. There's things on your life that will weigh you down, and you'll not be able to complete the race. You'll not be able to finish your course until you learn how to cast off these things. And when he says, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us or besets us, and let us run with endurance the race. Do you recognize that you are in a race? The word that is translated race literally means a conflict, a contention, a fight, or a race. And we, literally, we get our word, our English word, agonize or agony. It comes from the same word. This isn't an easy training. This is the training that, you know, if you're really out of shape, you throw up. Come on now. I mean, you, you do it, and you get it, and it's, you are so out of shape that you know what's going to happen. You feel sick. You throw up. That's not fun. That's agonizing. That's grueling. But he's saying the same type of contending that we are to commit ourselves to as Christians is to be at that level. It has to be agonizing. It has to be something that we contend for. It's a conflict. It's a fight. And we have to train in order to be ready, in order to overcome. I know that's gross, (laughs) but it's true. So we're called to be mature. We're called to be adults. No longer drinking, you know, the milk. 
No longer the bottle. No longer nursing. But solid food. Growing up. Becoming mature. And if we're going to do that, it's going to take a commitment to grow. Exercise yourself. Godly exercise. Godly exercise is better than physical and natural exercise. It benefits in this life and in the life to come. So important that we recognize what God has called us to. We must commit ourselves to a lifestyle of discipleship. I mentioned Acts 2 a couple of weeks ago, how they devoted themselves continually to prayer, to the ministry, the apostles' teaching, to the breaking of bread, and to fellowship. They continued steadfastly in these things is what it says. This was something that they persevered in. This wasn't something like, well, today I'm not going to do it. Today I'm not going to pray. Today I'm not going to come to church. Today I just don't feel like it. Today I don't feel like praising God. Today I just don't want to do it, and I'm not going to do it. It's discipline. If you're training, you don't feel like getting up at 5 o'clock in the morning. You don't feel like exercising. You don't feel like doing it, but you do it. The Christian life, interestingly, is compared to the same level of training. But how much more? It is for an eternal purpose and significance. How much time do we spend training ourselves intellectually and or physically? How much time do we spend reading watching television, even educational things? How much time do we spend in the gym? How much time do we spend, you know, doing this or that, but then look at how much time are you spending training yourself for godliness? It's more important. See, the goal of discipleship is one thing. It's Christ-likeness, to be like Christ. As I already mentioned, Romans 8, 29, that we, Jesus said, that we would be conformed to his image. His image. A teleos, a mature disciple. What does a mature Christian look like? Well, there's these three areas that I want to talk about. A mature Christian, first of all, worships the Father, walks with the Son, and works with the Spirit. A mature Christian worships the Father, walks with the Son, works with the Spirit. Jesus said that the Father seeks those who will worship him in spirit and in truth. The Father seek, is seeking those who will worship him. How? In spirit and in truth. Worship is a lifestyle. If you're not worshiping God in spirit and in truth, how are you worshiping him? In flesh and in lies. Right? So God says, worship me in spirit and in truth. I'm looking for those who will really worship me. I'm looking for those who will spend time worshiping me. Is it interesting how we feel that we don't have to worship God, some of us, here in this life, but then one day when we go to be with him in eternity, we just think somehow we're going to be good at it? <laughs> like, oh, yeah, I don't worship. It's just not my thing. Like, I, I like to, I, I like to hear the preaching of the Word of God, and uh, yeah, I'm just not a worshiper. That's just not my thing. Like, yeah. well, the Father died for you, sent His Son Jesus to die for you so that you become a worshiper. He seeks those that will worship. Well, yeah, but it worships more than singing. Yeah, but it is singing, it is praying, it is worshiping. 
Secondly, walk with the Son. 1 John 2, 6, if anyone says he abides in him, let him walk even as he himself walked. You have a relationship with the Son. You walk with the Son. You live like Jesus lived, in other words. He's your pattern. He's the one that you imitate. And you have an intimate relationship with him. Lastly, you work with the Spirit. You allow the Holy Spirit to flow through you. You allow the greater works that Jesus said we're to do. You're to allow him to flow through you. What is the Spirit saying? How are you yielding to the Spirit? Are you listening to the Spirit? Do you spend time in your daily relationship? Do you allow him to lead you and to guide you? And do you step out in obedience when he prompts you to do something? Work with the Spirit. The gifts of the Spirit is proof God can use a man. The fruit of the Spirit is proof that God can change a man. Did you hear that? I want to say that again. We've even got a slide for this. The gifts of the Spirit is proof that God can use a man. The fruit of the Spirit is proof that God can change a man. We need both, right? We need both the gifts and the fruit. Some people operate in the gifts, but they're impatient, they're abrasive, they're intolerable to others, they're intolerant, they don't have grace. They lack the fruit of the Spirit. Then there are other people that have amazing patience and they manifest fruit, but they never, you never see the operation of the gifts of the Spirit in their lives. If you've been baptized with the Holy Spirit, the Bible says in Acts 1.8 that he gives you and me the Holy Spirit to be witnesses unto him. The word witness is, is we get our English word martyr from it. It means a martyr. What does that mean? It means you're dead. It means you're dead. You no longer live. It's no longer I that lives, but it's Christ that lives in me. And the life that I live, I now live unto the Son of God. I live for him. It's all about him. It's not about me. I live for him. Paul called himself a bond slave. He called himself a doulos, which literally means a slave. I don't have any rights. I can't go where I want to go when I want to go there. I can't do what I want to do when I want to do it. I belong to Jesus. I was bought at a price. I belong to him. I'm not my own. How are you manifesting the fruit of the Spirit in your life? Is there still areas? What is the fruit of the Spirit? We know love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, what? Faithfulness, what? Goodness, self-control. Right? So tick off. Right? Doesn't, you ever notice it doesn't say the fruits of the Spirit? It says the fruit of the Spirit. Well, I got eight out of nine. It says fruit, not fruits. So you got eight out of nine. You don't have fruit. You're missing something. It's not the complete fruit. It's like a fruit that's asymmetrical. I don't know. But the reality is something's missing. How can we say, I'm patient and I'm kind, but we don't have self-control? doesn't make sense. We are either walking, and by the way, it's the fruit of the Spirit. It's not our human um, disciplines, our, our, our human goodness. It's the fruit of the Spirit. 
It's his fruit. It's supernatural. You can't love the way God has called you to love. I can't love the way he's called me to love because it's an agape love. It's an agape love. It's a supernatural love, and it's his love. And we love at a certain level. It's with the human love. It's with human reasoning. But the love that he's called us to is a love that we lay down our lives. Wow. So, what is a leader? When we talk about leader, it's very interesting because really the Bible doesn't say much about leadership directly, especially in the New Testament. It talks about being an example. Can I say that's leadership? Leadership is being an example, first and foremost. It's not, it's some, John Maxwell, I think it just says it's influence. Absolutely. But it's influence by example. Biblical New Testament leadership is not based on your giftedness. It's not based on your power or your prestige. It's not based on how much money you have or, or how elevated you've been in society. It's based upon the fact that you are exercising godly influence through your example. There are at least four different ways that we, we exercise authority. We can exercise authority based on our position. I have the title, you know. I'm the title. I'm the CEO. I'm the pastor, whatever I may be. And so, therefore, I have a level of authority. Absolutely. We can exercise authority based upon our capacity, our skills. You know, I'm, I'm an expert in this area. People come to me. I'm an authority on the subject. That's another way. Another way is relational authority. Because I've, I've earned the, my, you know, respect with the person, I've spent time developing rapport, I have to a certain degree uh, a, a, an ability, uh, an authority to be able to speak into their lives. Because they trust me. It's really more of an earned type of authority. But the last type of authority, which no CEO, I don't care how many John Maxwell courses or books you read, you'll never be able to get this one. And this is the authority that Jesus walked in, spiritual authority. Woo! Spiritual authority. It's supernatural yeah, we need all four, absolutely. But the bottom line is, it's an authority that we have because the Bible says that when John the Baptist appeared on the scene, the people had no idea who is this guy that's dressed in camel hairs and eats locusts. He's strange. But the Bible says there was a man sent by God. There was a man sent from God. When Jesus was on the earth, he said, he's not like the scribes. He's not like the teachers of the law. He has authority. We can tell he spent time with the Father. And we influence people based upon our spiritual authority. Hey, we come out of the secret place. We have a life of, of a holiness. We're surrendered and we're devoted to God and we walk in that place. We manifest the fruit of the Spirit. And people look at us and they can see Christ in us. Guess what? They're going to want to listen to us. 
1 Corinthians 11, verse 1. 1 Corinthians 11, verse 1. Paul says, you should imitate me just as I imitate Christ. You should imitate me as I imitate Christ. So Paul is saying, I'm a leader, you can imitate me. But before I'm a leader, I'm a follower. Discipleship always precedes leadership. Discipleship always is a precursor to leadership. If you're not a disciple, you can't lead. You can't take people where you've never gone yourself. You've got to live in a place where you have gone, and you can say to them, imitate me, follow me, look at me, pattern your life after me. Paul was not being arrogant. He realized the price he paid to be able to speak that with conviction and veracity. He recognized that he could say, you can follow me, you can watch my life. Not that he was perfect, but that people understood very, very clearly who he was. So the question we have to ask ourselves in 2018 is, our example worthy of imitating? Ooh, if you can't say amen, say ouch. Is our example worthy of imitating? Can you say to someone, hey, you want to know how you should live? Look at me. Oh, that's prideful. I could never say that. I'm not saying you're perfect. I'm not saying I'm perfect. But people, the thing that I want to be known for more than anything is not how well I preached or not how, you know, strategic I am in leadership planning or whatever. I want to be known for the fact that when people look at me, they see Christ in me. He manifests the fruit of the Spirit. He, he carries the glory. He carries the anointing. It's obvious that Christ is with him. And I want some of that. Come on down. I want a double portion of that. <laughs> Eli Elijah, Elijah, give me a double portion. Yeah. Well, you've asked for a difficult thing, Elijah. Elisha. But if you see me, you'll have it. If you're able to, to follow me and stick with me, and you'll, you'll have it. And we know that if you literally read the narratives that Elisha actually performed twice as many miracles as Elijah. Twice as many. Don't compare yourself, you know, to how you did last year. Well, I'm not as bad as I used to be. Well, that's good. But are you like Jesus? That's the mirror. That's the one we should compare ourselves to. Am I like Jesus? Do I love like Jesus loved? 1 Timothy 4.12, Paul speaks to his son in the faith, and he says this. Timothy, don't let anyone despise you because you're young, but be an example to all believers. Well, oh, come on now. Be an example. This is my challenge to this church in 2018, that we would be an example. We would be an example to all. Be an example to all believers in what you say. In the way you live, and in your love, your faith, and your purity. 
Let's look at this next slide here. By what you say. Ephesians 4.29 says, Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification, that it may impart grace to the hearers. Let no corrupt communication come out of it. Let nothing. Ephesians 5 tells us there should be no foolishness. There should be no coarse jesting. It says in Philippians, do everything without murmuring and complaining. We're called to be an example in the words we say. Because the Bible says what? That as a man, what? Speak it so he is in his heart. It's the overflow of what's really in our heart. I'm not saying we don't have questions. I'm not saying there aren't things we're grappling with in terms of struggling. I recognize that. We all have doubts at times. That's okay. In fact, the church should be a place where people can express their doubts. But we don't want to stay in doubt. We want to be able to move to that place that we speak the words that are honoring to God. Secondly, not only by the words you say, but the way you live. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 1 says, walk worthy of the calling with which you were called. Walk worthy. There are many people that want to be used by God. They want to be employed in the service of the Lord. They want to have influence, but they're not walking worthy. There are some people that have the ability, they have the gifts, it's evident, but they don't have the responsibility. They, they have the gifts, they are, they're anointed in many ways, but they haven't stepped up to that place where they're responsible. And God is saying it doesn't matter how gifted you are, if you're not available, if you're not walking worthy, if you aren't living a holy life, if you don't pray, if you don't spend time in my word, why should I open up the nations to you? Why should I cause your business to expand if you won't take time to honor me? Because in that place of seeking after God comes wisdom. In that place, God changes us and he works in our hearts and our lives. And he causes us to begin to live before other people in such a way that they, we, we recognize that we're walking worthy. It's a reasonable service. After all that Jesus has done for us, isn't it only reasonable that we should walk worthy? It's not to say that we boast because Jesus addressed that. He said, you know, when that servant comes in and he performs all his duties, does, you know, does the owner of the servant say thank you for doing all these things? No, he doesn't. He said, and the servant says, I'm just an unworthy servant. I've only done what's expected of me. So we come to that place where we don't boast about how God has used us. We don't boast about how we've, we've been able to do something for the Lord's purposes. But we walk in a place of worthiness. And even when there, when we're doing that and we're honoring God by our lifestyle, we still say, it's the very least I can do. I could never pay him back for what he's done for me. The very bare minimum that I can do is live this life of holiness. Live this life of love. Live this life of consecration to God. Amen. I told you it was going to be strong. Thank you, I will. 
Thirdly, be an example in your love. Walk in love as Christ also has loved us and given himself for us. Again, the template, the pattern, the one that we are to imitate in terms of love is Christ himself. We're to love like Jesus loved. Wow. Jesus loved so amazingly. Getting around people that just love you, they just ooze the love of Jesus. Isn't that awesome? You just, ah, oh, they just drips off of them, the love of Jesus. They just carry that love. That's what we're called to do, to love as Christ loved. Right? Patient, kind, gentle, honoring. We love people. And they, they won't be able to resist the grace of God. They won't be able to resist coming into his kingdom. By this, all men shall know you are my disciples. By what? By your lights and smoke machines. Right? By your worship team. By the amazing coffee you serve. It's okay, okay, but that it, we don't need it, guys. We don't need the building. We don't need anything. It might get a little bit cold in Perth, but trust me, it's not that bad. Go to Canada right now, 37 below zero. You need a building in the winter for church in Canada. But tell me, I'm going to tell you this. It's not about these things. It's about our love. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples by your love for one another, how you love people. You know, even when you correct people at times, right? The rich young ruler, Jesus looked at him and loved him. Go sell everything you have and come and follow me with a big grin on his face, oozing with the love of the Father. And he's like, Jesus loves and we're to love. We're to be an example in our faith as well. Well, you know, the proverbial is the glass half full or half empty. In our faith, to be an example. I love this verse, Acts 6, 5. And this saying pleased the whole multitude. And they chose Stephen. Why did they choose Stephen to be a leader in the church? A man full of faith. On the Holy Spirit. By the way, the word faithful, Paul said to Timothy, choose faithful men. Come on, what is a faithful person? A person who's full of faith. <laughs> Too easy. A person that's full of faith. Uh, full of faith. Who do you want to work for you? Who do you want to bring on staff if you're a pastor? Who do you want to lead the team? Who do you want to get the job done? Not the person that gives you 10 reasons why you can't do it. There may be 10 reasons in the natural why it can't be done, but there's always one reason why it can be done, and that name is Jesus Christ. Amen. And it doesn't matter what it looks like in the natural. If God is for me, who can be against me? Oh, wow. Well, you know what? We've never done it this way before. You know, well, there's this and this and this and this and this. Okay, deal with it. Overcome it. You're an overcomer. 
You're a problem solver in Christ. You've got the ability to be able to overcome. Don't give me 10 reasons why it can't be done because God doesn't settle for it. He's the solution. He's the way maker. He's the deliverer. He's the one who will make it happen. If we sit back waiting for the conditions to be right, it'll never happen. He says in Ecclesiastes, if you're looking for the right conditions, the wind to be blowing the right way, the current to be flowing the right way, it'll never happen. It'll never occur. You'll never get it done. You do what God has called you to do. You step out. Provision follows vision. The word pro means after. It's not prevision, before the vision. It's after the vision. You implement the vision. You do what God has called you to do. You step out and you do it and the provision will follow. Because when we are looking at and it's fulfilling the vision of the kingdom, of the king, we will experience the provision of his kingdom. Always. <laughs> faith. I love to be around people of faith. All right? Twelve spies, ten come back. We can't get this done. It's impossible. They're giants. I mean, we look like grasshoppers. Right? But then two men came back, Joshua and Caleb, full of faith in the Holy Ghost, and said, we are well able to go up and possess the land. Though there be giants in the land, in other words, yeah, there's hindrances, yes, there's obstacles, yes, there's challenges, but we are well able. It doesn't matter. We're not in denial. We're not putting our head in the sand and denying the challenges or the realities. But what we're doing is saying we can do it because God is with us and he is greater as he that is in me than he that is in the world. Amen. Hallelujah. Amen. And then lastly, your purity. Be an example in your purity. Ephesians 5, verse 3, NIV. But among you, there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality or of any kind of impurity. Not a hint. That's what it says. It talks about neither coarse jesting, foolish talk, in the ensuing verses. And then he says, and because of these things, guys, I challenge you to read this. It says, and because of these practices, the wrath of God is poured out on the sons of disobedience. Whew. Paul was straight up, wasn't he? You talk like the world. You, you speak in un, with uncleanness. You, your heart is being manifested because the words and your mouth just expose that your heart's defiled. But among you, there must not even be a hint. You know, the, the Japanese, what an amazing people, aren't they? Think about that nation after what it went through in World War II, devastated, and then how they came back. And now, I mean, you just look at how wealthy they are. It's what an amazing nation. They made so many significant contributions to technology, haven't they? Think about Toyota, Nissan, Honda, Mitsubishi, Canon, Sony. But the Japanese are also, are also responsible for introducing 
a tree to the world called bonsai. <laughs> and like all other trees, it's not measured in meters or feet, it's measured in centimeters and inches. When the sapling first pops its head out of the ground, the gardener pulls it out of the soil and he ties off the main taproot and several of the branch feeder roots. And then he puts it back in the soil. And what he's done is he has intentionally hindered the growth of that tree. He's limited the growth of that tree because now the roots aren't able to spread out and grow deeply. And we have this tree called a bonsai tree. Looks nice, but we're not called to be bonsai. The Bible tells us in Isaiah 61, we're called to be trees of righteousness, which literally means oaks of righteousness. Strong trees. We're called to be oak trees. And you know, many Christians, we're guilty of the same thing that the gardener has done with the bonsai tree. Maybe we haven't done it intentionally. Maybe it's, un it's an unwitting act, but the bottom line is, we, as a result of not being firmly and deeply rooted in Christ, have greatly cut off the flow of the nourishment that we need in order to grow spiritually and become mature. We've cut off the nourishment. The roots haven't gone deep. We haven't spread out our roots. We haven't gone deep enough. And as a result, we think, oh, I'm pretty good. Look in the mirror, you're a bonsai. <laughs> God says you're called to be an oak. An oak, not a bonsai tree. In 2018, I want to challenge you to no longer be a bonsai. I want to challenge you to connect. Commit yourself to fellowship. Get involved in a fellowship. Come to church regularly. Get involved in a connect group, fellowship with other people. Over 40 commandments in the New Testament have the two words, one another, in them. You can't grow spiritually if you're not in fellowship. Get involved in a connect group. Very important. Leaders lead by example. If you're a leader, you need to lead by your example if you want others to follow. Serve. Everyone's serving. Everyone can do something. Come on, guys. Let's step up. You're not called to be a pew warmer. There's no, and he gave some to be apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers, and pew warmers. <laughs> You're called to serve according to your gifts. Do it unto the Lord. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm not qualified. You're right. You're not. But I'm, I'm, you know, it doesn't matter. God doesn't, he doesn't, what is it? He doesn't call the qualified, he qualifies the called. That's the way it is. So, yeah, I'll, I'll acknowledge that. I'm not qualified either. The Bible says we're not sufficient of ourselves, but our sufficiency is in Christ. Come on. But I draw from his grace. I draw from his power. So I serve. Give. Give. Be a faithful steward. If this is your home church, start supporting. If this is not your home church, if you're just new and you don't understand all this, it's all right, don't be under pressure. But what we want you to understand is that this is part of, an, of our worship to give. Honor God 
Give your finances to him. Tithe. Give offerings. Do things sacrificially that challenge you. Don't eat your seed. Sow your seed. If you eat your seed, you won't have a harvest. Sow your seed and God will give you a harvest. And then fourthly, commit yourself to discipleship. And not only to being a disciple, but to disciple others. Commit yourself so that you can say, I'm going to commit myself this year. I'm going to become more like Jesus. I'm going to overcome this in my life. I'm going to become more Christ-like. I'm going to be an example that others can follow. And as you do that, you'll, be, you'll find people will naturally gravitate towards you. Don't let them be disappointed. Can I say that in love? Don't let them be disappointed. You know sometimes why pastors don't want to get close to people? Is because they don't want people to really know what they're like. Whew. Well, if I let them get too close to me, they'll see that I've got my problems. They'll see that I've, you know. I'm not saying that pastors are perfect. Obviously not. But the reality is we need to be able to allow people to get close to our lives. And there should be a sense of, okay, I'm not perfect. I do make mistakes. But I'm, I'm real. I'm legitimate. I'm going to ask the worship team to come. I'm the real thing. I've committed my life to being a disciple of Jesus Christ. I love this verse. I'm going to share this in closing. Acts chapter 16, verse number 5. And I'm going to look at this. Acts chapter 16, verse number 5. Speaking of the church. So the churches were strengthened in the faith and increased in number daily. The churches were strengthened in the faith and increased in numbers daily. Think about that. The church grew numerically and spiritually. Daily. God wants to bring people into his kingdom. You know the parable of the 99 lost, right? The 99. And there's one that wasn't there. He was more concerned about the one. If you have four children and you call them for dinner and three show up, are you going to go, oh, it's all right, three out of four ain't bad. <laughs> what? Where's my son? Where's my daughter? That's what God's like. Think about it. <laughs> Jesus. He's calling them to his table. Yeah, three out of four, he's, it's not enough. I want my children, I want my lost sheep to come home. This year, let's do it, guys. Let's give it all to the one who gave it all for us. Let's go where he tells us to go. Let's do what he tells us to do. Let's lay it all down. Let's repent. Let's surrender. He's able to solve it. He's able to heal you. He's able to use you. He can turn it around. But will you take up your cross and follow him? Will you be 
not just a church member, an adherent, an attender, but a disciple. Will you be his disciple? Will you follow him where he leads? Can we stand together? Come on, let's just begin to worship him right now. Just lift up your voice. Just begin to praise him. You want to pray in the spirit? Just begin to pray in the spirit. Come on, just begin to pray right now. Just begin to praise him. Come on. What's the big deal, deal? Where can you get pizza, bread twists, specialty chicken, and more for just five ninety nine each? Is it at Domino's? He hands off hand-tossed pizza and a marble cookie brownie. He's going, going, going! There's a lot of variety on the radio and at Domino's, too, where you can... Mix and match two or more. $5.99 Two-item minimum. Pan, pizza, bone, and wings and bread bowls will be extra. Ask for this limited time offer. Prices, participation, delivery area, and charges may vary. 10 for $10 is back at Meyer. This week, buy 10 items, get the 11th free, and get it delivered right to your door with free home delivery on orders of $35 or more. Save on Progresso or Campbell's tomato or chicken noodle soup, Chex Mix, Green Giant frozen vegetables, or Meyer facial tissue. All 10 for $10, get the 11th free. Meyer is here to help you save more and spend less, and with 10 for $10, get the 11th free and free home delivery on orders of $35 or more. You can stock up on everything you need. Exclusions apply. See all the deals in the Meyer app.